This is Luke Chason, and you're listening to the Sheriff Podcast. everybody to an exclusive episode of the sheriff guys today i am blessed to have another one of scarborough's finest on the show now this gentleman is also part of three teams that are on my resume as he was a superstar for the kitchener rangers rochester americans and the chicago wolves ladies and gentlemen at five foot ten my guest was a small power forward but was an aggressive physical style with a willingness to fight he played an energetic game and was known to finish all of his checks, ladies and gentlemen. Peter DeBoer was quoted as saying that he played like a player about a foot taller than what he was. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mr. Mike Duco, a.k.a. The Dukes, how are you doing tonight, my friend? I'm great, brother. Thanks for having me on. Well, I appreciate it, Dukes, because like we were talking before the show, I loved having the boys on, bro. I love like kind of advertising the fact that East End to Toronto, man, we got a lot of talent over here, man. And and the resume speaks for itself. We got a lot of guys that have NHL games that grew up like in a certain, you know, like a certain area of Scarborough, of East Toronto. And you're definitely in the group. Um, we were talking about Kevin Henderson before the recording. And man, did he ever have a lot of good things to say to you, bro. We're going to talk about it during the show. You guys shared similar journeys. Now, um, how are you doing, though, Dukes? Like, like, what have you been up to lately, my friend? I want to get there first. Oh, I've, been, I've been good. I've been working with a company, which is actually a BC-based company, Okanagan Hockey Academy. They have their main division in Penticton, BC. Um, they have one in Edmonton. Um, David Clarkson just started a division in Colorado. There's one in Austria. And we have one here in Whitby, Ontario. So I was, firstly, once I retired from playing, I became a player assistant coach with the Elmira Jackals in the ECHL. Um, that was an interesting experience for me, to say the least, because halfway through the season, I was then the head coach. And then I was the head coach and the guy of head of hockey operations. So quite the transition for me. Um, kind of team folded long story through there became a Peterborough Pete, um, you know, back into the OHL as an assistant coach and development side of things. And then the opportunity with the Okanagan came up the year after. So it was kind of a, a smooth transition into coaching for me and development. And then as I took this job with Okanagan, I, I became an American hockey league referee as well. So uh, no a, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of different paths for me, a lot of different hats, but still in the game of hockey and still have that passion. Okay, wait a second, man. We got to go back to this referee thing because I'm proud to have my level one, man. I used to ref Cardinal Leger games when I was in grade nine in Pope, and I thought I was a big deal. So what level is it to have AHL eligibility? Professional Hockey League experience is basically what, what it was. So I okay, was so, okay. I Same. was approached... Yeah. Um, Actually, that year that I was coaching, because there was a lot of guys, ex-players that had been kind of pulled into the NHL officiating combine and kind of went through that process. 
So they approached me that year when I was coaching in Elmira and just said, you know, maybe something you could think of, you know, you, you kind of know the game, you're a good skater, we're kind of leaning in this direction. So um, I went to Peterborough, I did that route, wanted to continue pursuing the coaching. And then finally, I got accepted into the um, NHL officiating combine. So I'm like, well, I never thought about being an official, but I'm not really going to turn this opportunity away. So I went to Buffalo, did the combine, all the testing, probably harder than most NHL camps I've ever been to. We were on the ice all day. Testing was quite hard. Obviously, you're on the ice for 60 minutes, not the eight that I was used to some nights. So um, did that. And, you know, two weeks later, I was in Vegas doing a NHL rookie tournament. And then two weeks after that, the American Hockey League started and I was in Cleveland refing my first ever American Hockey League game. Man, I would chirp you, Dukes. Come on, ref. Were you, were you the linesman or the ref? I was the ref. So it's funny because I like one of my best buddies um, from childhood is Rich Clune. And, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. there I am. I'm, I'm refing Rich Clune in Syracuse one game. And guys that oh, I trained fine. with, guys that I trained with in the summertime and ex-teammates, you know, I, I pull up at the center circle and they're like, come on. Like, no way. I didn't know you were doing this, but it was super cool experience. And um, I, I haven't done it for the last two seasons since the pandemic uh, became a thing. Um, yeah. And I've just kind of really dove into more so development and, and heading in that direction. Yeah, dude, man, that's so cool. I'm, I'm glad you brought up Richie Clune too. I'm a big Rich Clune fan, man. And he's, Dickie, he, Dickie's, a, Dickie's a legend. He's, he's a great he dude. A and he does, uh, he does a lot of really good things, so. Yeah, he really does, man. And that's why I want him on the show. And he told me he's going to come when the season's over, but I'm, I'm hoping that he tunes into this one and, and he sees how much fun we're having and uh, what we're doing with this platform. And he, maybe he'll come on a little earlier. Well, he's a, he's a good East End boy, right? So I'm sure he, he would like to uh, jump on and give some support. There you go, bro. That's it. That's it. So, dude, I mean, that's cool. I had to ask you about the ref thing, man, because I mean, that, that, that it's, I mean, refing in the AHL is the closest thing to playing in the AHL. Like, I mean, Dude, that is, that is so cool, man. The shape that you have to be in to be able to do it, to be able to be, you know what I mean? So like, well, that's what I said. The, the combine testing, like it was, it was intense. Like you basically you'd be refing a game and everyone had to bring their, their stick gloves, helmet, and then you had to play a game and then you ref a game and then you play a game and kind of, you do that throughout the day. So all of the refs that were there and obviously there was a bunch of pro guys that I had played with previously. So like, the caliber of hockey was quite good. So, um, you know, I, I went out there and mixed it up a little bit and scored some goals and then put the stripes on for the second part of the day. And it was, it was a really cool experience. Now, and thanks for sharing that, bro. So now, dude, here's the thing, bro. Like, I, I don't know how you're going to take this, but like, bro, like, like I always knew that you were a really good hockey player. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're a little bit younger than me. So 87. You're, yeah. You're in 87. Right. So you're the same age as Liam and, you know, but I got five years on you. Right. So, you know, we missed each other in the OHL. So I never played against you. Right. And then, but I've always been following you and whatever. And I knew that you were fast. I knew that you were a good hockey player, but buddy, I do my research on my guests and buddy, I had no idea you were as tough as you are. Like, well, as, as Pete said, I, I kind of had to be with the style that I played, right? And especially back in the day. Well, I don't know if you remember, but Chris Beckford Sue was my first ever roommate. And you on Rockford, I believe, ended up coming to our house um, the night before a game. I don't know if you recall that. 
What? Where? Who were you guys? Oh, yeah, I was, I was in Rochester. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, was, that was my first year. I, but I remember that clearly because 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 Drew Larman and Tanner Glass were living in the same complex because that was my condo that I just didn't want to give up the lease because I did a hockey school in Rochester in the summer and Rochester is a good place to train. I'm sure you heard or maybe got a little taste of that when you're with the Amherst. I don't know if you, if you did, went to any skates, but man, do they got a really good pro skate with the Giantas and, you know, Bond senior will come out, Fitzpatrick, all these guys. Right. And, um, yeah, bro. And like, so it was just good to prepare for the year living in Rochester and me and Sully, Dan Sullivan, we would, we would split the rent and do our hockey schools and have a great summer, man. And well, the rent was probably quite cheap back then too. So you're probably making good money. It was cheap, but it was cheap compared to Toronto rent right now. But buddy, for I think sure. I was paying like, I don't know, man, I was paying like 1600 a month. And this was in early 2000s. You know what I'm saying? But it was like, but they were great places, right on, right on the water, across from Nathaniel's. You can't beat it, right? Right, by, right beside the rink. So you were, you were, because I lived, that was the same complex that obviously I lived in, right? So yeah. right yeah. across from Nathaniel's and Tony yeah. D's was in there with some of the best wings in the city. And I, I enjoyed my time in Rochester for sure. 100% buddy. So this is my style, Dukes. I like to go to the beginning to really get the listeners an understanding of my guests, right? So like we talked about, cause I wanted to know like if, if it would make sense for, for you to call you Scarborough's finest because you know, you lived in Scarborough for a long time and I'm sure that was a big part of your journey, you know, living in this area. And so, you know, when you were telling me about like all the places in the GTA that you've lived, it was pretty cool. But like, where were you when you were a young little Duco? Like, like where was I, the elementary I, school Duco? I was a, a beaches kid. So okay. I was Adam back in the beach and then I was St. John's and then it was either I was going to Malvern or Neil McNeil, but my brother had gone to Cardinal Newman. So, you know, my, my dad was living on the bluffs at that point, heading into grade nine and it was just up the road for me. So it was, I was only there for the, the first two years. Then I was in Kitchener, but um, yeah, I spent majority of my childhood on the beach and, you know, playing house league at Vic village and, doing all those things. But then I kind of transitioned a little bit into Scarborough, lived in Whitby. Um, my dad's actually back in Scarborough now up at Port Union where Hendo gave the shout out to the Black Dog and Ted's yeah. and Fratelli's and all the local spots there. So I, I still venture out there all the time. And I believe your, your family's out there as well, right? So yeah, like I'm, I'm, I do the recordings from my mother's house and that's where I am right now. Um, so it's great because I get to come here, you know, mom cooks a nice home meal get to do a show with Mike Duco, have another little visit, and then I'm, and then I'm gone. So I, 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 I'm usually in Pickering at White's in 401, um, but I'm, I'm here a couple times a week as well. And uh, just right beside Fratelli, it's like you mentioned, in Highland Creek, brother. It's a good that's, spot. That's, that's some of the best Italian food in Scarborough right there. The best Italian food in Scarborough, yes, man. For sure, I, I agree with that. Small venue, but, but the food... The food outweighs any any negative. And, you know, it's kind of cool to be in a small place. Sometimes those big places that are empty don't have the feeling like a Fratelli's does, right? So, yeah, man, that's really cool. I'm happy that you brought that up, my friend. And then you got Ted's right next door, too, and Ted's is a staple. That's right. Ted's is, Ted's is, is like, a like to my family, Ted's is like a landmark. Because when we, and I noticed it when, like, Pat, Liam, Catherine, my mom, like, anybody would be describing where we lived to another person in Scarborough, maybe they didn't quite understand what Highland Creek was. But once we said, you know, Ted's restaurant, 
Shamrock Burgers, you know that? And they're like, oh yeah, 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 Ted's. And it's got the big mural on the side, Ted's in red. Like, yeah, they do a lot of movies from there. For sure, um, it's a good spot. It's a very good spot. So dude, who were you playing for in the GTHL when you lived in the beaches? Oh, I was a Wexford Raider boy for the first four years. Okay. Um, then I was kind of your prototypical GTHL kid that bounced around a little bit. And I went to the Canadians for a year, um, ended up on Vaughn for the Pee Wee year. And then my last two years um, for, I guess, Bantam and Minor Midget is what it was called at that point. Yep. I was um, Toronto Marley's. So that's where I played with Rich Clune and Tom Jefferson were my two line mates, Mike Whoa. Daniels' little brother. So it was um, three guys of similar stature that all had similar games and we were we were a force yeah bro i can only imagine let's talk about the year for the richmond hill von kings your pv season okay now what i want to where i want to go with this is i want to talk about the quebec peewee international tournament my friend i saw in my research that you participated in that tournament with a team from Vaughan, ontario which is obviously the richmond hill von kings were you guys wearing the LA Kings uniforms? Um, yeah, similar. Like, like the same, it wasn't similar, exactly, right? but it was it was the black, the silver, and yeah. the purple. It wasn't identical, but it was it was quite yeah. similar. The colors, just like kind of the Lee Side Kings, are similar to it as well, right? But yeah. what I'm trying to get at is, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool logo in jersey, Richard. And, and I wore number 99. Did you really? Yeah, tough one. I I, I think I asked. I think I said, I'll, I'll take 14. And if you don't have it, 99. And I showed up and 99 was on the jersey. So I, I rolled with it. Not not the ideal player to wear 99, but that, it is what it is. That's really funny, Dukes. So this is this is why I like to talk about the PBA tournament. I love it when I see that a player played there. Because for me, Dukes, that tournament was my introduction to the big lights. Is that the case for you? Yeah, I mean, the, the spotlight was on you there, right? There was, there was people watching it. You were in the Coliseum. And I think at that point, people were smoking cigarettes in the arena. So yeah. a little bit little, little bit different than it is now. But Andrew Coglano was on our team. And obviously, a lot of people were watching him as probably one of the fastest players out there. And against Honey Baked yeah. and Little Caesars and all these teams who were kind of those American rivals that we had at all the tournaments. And we, we ended up losing in the finals, actually. So... Um, we, we went all the way and I, I still have the VHSs at my mom's house up the road from all those games. So quality of TV wasn't exactly where, where it would be today, but it, it's always cool to, to put it back in a VHS and take a look. Definitely. How, how well did you guys do? Oh, we, we lost in the finals. So, okay. we, we, so you we guys went lost all the way in the through. finals. Sorry, I, I didn't catch that. Sorry, yeah, buddy. We, we ended up beating Honey Baked in the semis and they had like Nathan Gerbe and some of those guys that were quite good. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I, I forget who it might have been the Elgin's Middlesex Islanders or something along those lines. I can't recall exactly what the finals was, but we ended up losing the finals, which was quite devastating. Wow, bro. And it but was, I, I, st I still have my um, my like little scarf with all the pins on it. And I still have my mini stick in the basement here that my, yeah. my son was playing with for the first little bit. And I had to yank it out of his hands. I'm like, buddy, that's like a Whoa. you know 18 year old mini stick. Let's put that on the wall. Yeah. Put that on the wall. We got some mini sticks that we just picked up from Canadian Tire for you. Yeah, you can you can use this one. <laughs> yeah, dude, I have a lot of that stuff too. Pat played in the tournament for the North York Canadians with like Ace Stu and those guys, right? And Rain Carnegie. Yep. So they made it to the finals. They lost to Russia. 
right? I played for Wexford, bro, when I was in Pee Wee. I was Don Mills every other year, but Wexford and Pee Wee. And we didn't do that well. So I don't know what it's like to be playing in the semis and the finals. It when was, like I said, at, at 12 years old, like, you know, you're yeah. exposed to your mom and dad watching your game and your grandparents, right? And you show up to relatively sold out arena of people that actually care and all the people that lost and are still around on the weekend and everyone's watching and the spotlight's on. So um, I, I don't recall too much of the game exactly, but a loss is a loss. Yeah, dude. But it would have been the 15,000 capacity probably, right? Or whatever the 16 or whatever the Coliseum held. Yeah, it was, it was, it was busy. So once again, like yeah. you, you talk about the spotlight and having eyes on you at a young age, like there was, there was some serious pressure felt at 12 years old. Yeah, dude. So they, I, I, I appreciate you sharing that. I didn't know you guys made it to the finals, bro. That that's pretty sick. Um, I also wanted to ask you about, about the, about the Thornhill, Thornhill major Islanders. Cause like that was the team that you played with, with Evan Henderson, correct? Yep. Okay. So now when, okay. So, so this was a little bit of a, well, actually you played for Richmond Hill Vaughn Kings and Peewee. So Thornhill major Islanders, that wasn't a big deal. That wasn't too far for you. Was no, really and, and my brother was guys? driving me. Right. So we, we were on the same team. So I, he was on Wexford the year before and I don't think, um, ice time was kind of what he wanted it to be for what he thought he could provide. And I, I remember that he was having conversations with Thornhill and they were, I think they might've been the Rattlers the year before or something before yeah. they weren't the Islanders. So he ended up getting that job there and I had gone to, I was drafted to Kitchener and all of that stuff. So I went to camp and I was offered a, as a fifth round pick, a, like a 13 forward position. And I was kind of weighing out the, the school package and you know the the play time and everything or I could go back and my brother has a good gig as the first line guy on Thornhill and I could kind of be a sidekick as the little brother so it was kind of an easy decision for me to to come back home and we, we hadn't played with each other since my first year of playing hockey in house league so that was that was a really cool experience for us. Dude, that's really really cool I had no idea that your brother played on that team. That's that, that was that was the only reason I went there. I <laughs> I, I, I think I might have taken the 13th position with the Kitchener Rangers had it not been for for his influence on that team. So um, and we did we both did quite well that year. Statistically, that was probably his best year. And obviously, I, I came into a good situation where they wanted him and they wanted me as well to come. So power play, first line, penalty kill, you know, everything you could ask for as a 15, 16 year old kid was given to me. How happy were your parents that season? They, I, I think they were pretty, pretty happy. I, I don't know how yeah. many came, games they came out to, but um, you know, the fact that he could drive me and they didn't have to go to two different places and watch yeah. two different games and juggle kind of that whole scene getting through the city. Um, I, I think it was obviously you know, an easy sell for everybody. And how many years are you guys apart? Three years. You guys are three years apart. Okay. He's an 84, so, so yeah. He's, okay, so he's two years younger than me. That's right. When I, when I went to Cardinal Newman, your brother was there. Yeah, and, and once again, I, it's kind of like my path through life, right? I yeah. went to Newman, I went to Newman. He played yeah, on Thornhill, I went to Thornhill. And then we just kind of from there split off and he was NCAA Division Three bound and I went to the OHL. Okay, so yeah, I was going to ask, I was going to ask about, about that. So how far did your brother go? He went to play for Oswego State, which was one of kind of the highly touted Division Three teams yeah. 
in New York there. So he, he went there, he was there for two seasons and similar story to the junior career. I, I, I don't think that he was getting the playing time that he thought he deserved. So he then transferred over to Buff State, a little bit closer to home, Whoa. right at the border there. Yeah. So, um, you know, once again, easier for my parents to go and be able to watch him play for him to, to scoot home if he needed to as well. So he went and graduated from there and then ended up going back and um, doing his master's in teaching. Um, I really? think at Madai College or something like that in Buffalo. So he's uh, technically could be a teacher, but now his path is with the Ryerson Rams as, as a head coach. So he's currently the head coach of the Ryerson Rams? He's currently the head coach of the Ryerson Rams. Um, kind of a historic year for the, their program this year. They previously to this year had never made it past the second round, I don't think. So they went past the second round. They ended up losing in the finals, um, they, they, or the semis, they ended up being the third seed and they made it to nationals and then ended up beating, I think it was UNB in the first game, upset them as a third seed and then ended up losing in the next game. And I think they ended up finishing fourth overall in Canada. So pretty, pretty good year for a program that has never, never made it to, to that level. So. Jeez, bro. Jeez. No, that's impressive. Like, you know what, like I was, before the recording, I was telling, I was talking to my mom and we were talking about you because she knows you. And, you know, I was saying, you know what, I, like I went to school with his brother. He's got an older brother. But like, to be honest, bro, I don't know why, but I, I don't think I knew that he was a hockey guy like that. Like I knew he played when we were younger, but I didn't know that. that that's very impressive. But what I really wanted to tell you is I was like, mom, you know what, like Duco and his brother are like, you know, like when you're, when you're a confident guy, it, 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 you could feel comfortable with giving a dude a compliment. Like you're just saying, yeah, man, the guy's got swag or whatever. I was saying to my mom, I'm like, mom, these two guys, they're brothers. They don't look exactly the same, but they're like Abercrombie and Finch models, man. Like these guys could, these guys could probably be models. You know what I mean? Like apart from what they're doing. I'm like, I'm like the family must have good genes. Cause I just always remember how clean cut, well-dressed, properly mannered you and your brother are man it's very impressive I, I had to mention i'm a big believer of giving credit when credit's due well i, I appreciate that and i know that he would definitely say that as the older brother he's the uh the better he's looking the, one but we'll, we'll be debating we'll be debating about that for an entire life so, <laughs> so it's all good i love the sibling rivalry buddy i got i got it with two of them man i got freddie jones jr and i have the mayor bro so you know what I mean? I, I and my sister too, man. She's in the rivalry as well. So you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I always Matthew. had the, the little brother thing going, right? So I was always one of the youngest in the families, and all all of his friends would come over. You you brought up like Evan Katsopoulos and a few of the boys that used to play with him, and they would come over and you know give me give me the beats pretty good. So uh, <laughs> I, I think some of them like to take credit for my my toughness at the end of the day. But once again, another debate for a long time. Yeah, dude. And that's, man, it's so cool. So, okay, bro, I want to, you see the smile on my face. I want to get into the Kitchener story now. As, as we discussed before the recording, you know, Duco, like the advantage for you guys that look like models is, is we are a video podcast as well. So the benefit for us is that Mike Duco being on the show, we're going to get extra traction. Like, even though you're, you're a great father, great husband, you know, people can't hate that, you know, that, that you know, the ladies love you, bro. They're, they got to, man. We're going to get a lot of views, man. You're going to have fans. My wife will be proud of this, though. 
should be like, yeah, my guy, my guy got them more fans because he's he's my guy. I hope so. And you 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 can see over my shoulder, I I did quite well too. So it's you did very well, my friend. It's all good. You have to go that way, the other shoulder. No, other one, other one. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Anyway, bro. So now I'm wearing a Kitchener Rangers t-shirt. We talked before the recording. We talked about Sean Ferfaro. Man, okay, so my question to you is, were you, were you an underager? Um, I, ended up play, I ended up playing because I, I kind of told you I was drafted fifth round and I was presented that 13th forward position, which for development's sake, I, I didn't know if that was the best move for me. So I went to play junior. I did quite well statistically. Um, and then, so you-, you know, come, come just before Christmas time, you know, Pete DeBoer and Steve Spot are calling and saying, hey, this is this is kind of your path. I think this this would be really good for you. So we sorted out the um, educational package stuff and some of those things. And then I signed a 10-game contract. So I ended up playing five games in the regular season as an underage. And then I finished, saved the last five for the playoffs. Nice. So, yeah. So you, so you got to play your 16-year-old season, which which made you become a five-year man. Yes, yeah, I, I, I was I was there five. I didn't know if it was going to be all five years because Pete usually would uh, press my buttons pretty good and let me know that maybe I'd be staying in the Sioux after a road trip on a bad game. But um, <laughs> I, I was there for five years and we ended up having a really good relationship. So how many billets did you have during that time? So funny enough, the first year of that 10 game stint, I was with Hendo's first billets. Okay. So the next year after that, I moved into um, a family by the name of the Kaufmans. They were on 89 Burbank, just just outside of the uh, the auditorium there, just across the highway. So it was logistically, it was really made sense for me without a car. My first year, I could walk to the arena if I needed to. It was quite close. And I ended up living with them the next four years. Wow. So they were amazing billets. They, they were they were great for me. Um you know, they, they had rules, they had young kids that kind of looked up to me at the time. And, you know, they, they gave me a little bit of leash every now and then when I, when I got older, but as long as we had that mutual respect and I wasn't stepping over any boundaries, you know, we, we were always in good terms. Wow. So, so your parents must've liked them too then, right? Like over that amount of time, like you get to know people. Yeah. And once again, I mean, for the most part, it wasn't my parents' decision, right? I, you know, they liked me, I liked them and regardless of the, the family situation, which I'm sure they all liked each other, but it was all kind of me. And, you know, was I comfortable there? Yes. Exactly. Did they like me? Yes. I'm going to stay. Yes. And as Hendo touched on there, that's not always the case for a lot of people, right? No, like, no, it's you know, not. You, you play on a team for four years and there could be four different billets. Exactly. It's not always a good situation. It's not always a match. So luckily enough for me, it was, it was a match. That's awesome. And, and the reason why I kind of get into the billet situation a little bit, Dukes, with the guys that played major junior is, man, like, especially, you know, Dukes, that you're that you're a coach and, and you know, like or that, that you've done, you have a lot of experience in coaching. I mean, bro, if we think about it now, the lives we lived when we were 16, 17, 18, 19, we were teenagers, dude. We were following a pro schedule. We had to worry about school. We had to worry about our billets. We had to worry about girls. All these emotions are going through us. You know, we're adolescents. Like, 
that that's a lot to worry about at that age and then perform in front of 5,000 people and have the same kind of pressure that they do in the NHL. Yeah, I mean, and Kitchener is a good example because we sold out most games and that wasn't the case for like a Mississauga or some of the other teams, right? Like, you know, we, we knew every Friday night on a home game that there'd be five, six, 7,000 people there. So a little bit of pressure, yeah, but I... I kind of thrived on that. And, you know, we had Dave Schneider, the announcer guy. He always hyped up my last name for me. And by the end of my four or five years in Kitchener, the, the, um, the fans would be doing a Duco chant. So um, I, I always, I always, I always worked myself up for those games. What what was it? Well, the way that Schneider would do it, he'd say, Mike, do. So he'd stress the who? So okay. he'd stress the ooh, and then it was kind ooh, of like, cool. so, like so funny enough, because I, I went and did a refereeing for the OHL in an exhibition game in Kitchener as a yeah. first first year. And as he announced the referees, he, he did the old school Mike Duco. Did he really? Oh, yeah. Oh, man, that's pretty special, eh? Yeah, it was funny. It was the first time I'd ever been booed in the auditorium. <laughs> that's unreal, bro. Okay, so listen, this stint that you had with Kitchener, bro, I'm a stack guy, Duco. I noticed certain things, right? You guys made the playoffs every single season. I know that you guys hosted a Mem Cup during that time too, right? My, my last year, yeah. Okay, and so so every year, every year you guys were good, very good. Pretty right? much, yeah. My, my first year, um, we almost got upset by Erie, but Mike Richards, I think statistically, if you look at his playoffs, he was – he just went off and he put the team on his back and it's kind of what Richie did at that point. I think the, the second year, I don't know if it was Owen sound, we ended up playing and losing in the first round. And then the third year, I don't recall exactly. It might've been, um, might've been Plymouth. We had played there and lost in the first round. And then, you know, we were hosting the Memorial cup, my overage year and yeah, they, they, they went for it. Yeah, dude. So, I've been to the odd recently, like we discussed. Those um, renovations, I was trying to think of the word, renovations, that was for that year, right? So they, they, they had put in the extra boxes and raised the roof and did all that stuff. Um, and previous to that, they had done a little bit to the room, but not much. It, it looks, the dressing room itself looks quite similar, the stalls and everything to what it was. But okay. like... The, the kitchen and the Danny Liebold's training area and the offices is all completely revamped and redone since I've been there. So I've been through it and it's, it's elite. Cause dude, I'll be honest. I mean, I was there in 2002 and you said they redid all the offices, like the front office you're talking about. Yeah. Cause it was nice then. It was always nice. And I, I thought it was the thing. Like they, they were this, they were redoing things that they just wanted to be the best. They they wanted to be that upper class in the league, and they they always were, and mm-hmm. they just kind of stepped a little bit level above with that dressing room. I mean, they're neck and neck with London, bro. I feel with like the elites in the league as far as arena, you know, attendance, all that type. Yeah, of but stuff. when you when you talk arena, like it's two completely different atmospheres, right? Like true. London brand true. new and has that kind of NHL vibe, new school where you come to Kitchener and it's like 
Maple Leaf Gardens. Gardens, and it's it's a tough place. As my buddies used to tell me, it's a tough place to come and play. Yeah, I could, I could. Well, definitely be tough if you got Mike Duco coming in on the four check, smashing you through the glass. Yeah, right? there, 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 there was a few questionable ones probably over time, but most of them were clean. <laughs> so, tell me about the Mem Cup hosting, bro. First of all, how did you guys do? We lost in the finals. Kind of okay. story of my life. It seems to be is well, making it, making it to the dance, and you know, never, never winning. So we. That year, um, we ended up going to the finals because our whole thing was, you know, we want to, we were hosting, so we were guaranteed a spot regardless. So the big thing was coming in the front door, not the back door. We wanted to do it the proper way. So, you know, you, you see a team like Windsor previously who lost in their first round, they're hosting, they get a month off, they win the Memorial Cup, yeah. right? So our thing, we wanted it to be, we want to win the league. We want to do it proper. We want to then obviously win everything. So we ended up playing Belleville in the finals, went to game seven. It was like PK Subban, Sean Mathias, Matt Bolesky. Um, our team was you know, pretty good. Like if you look at the second line, it, it, it was me with Nazem Kadri at center and Mikel Bodker as their second line. So you're like, you know, who's, who's the first guys? We had Justin Azevedo, 120-point guy, Matt Halischuk golden boy from the world juniors and Nick Spalling, who was a high draft pick to the NHL as well. So like our team was, was quite good. Um, and well, then, you know, we were the second line, second line. So that, that was actually like, if you, if you're the big stack guy, you know, you take a look at my playoffs, 16 goals in 20 games. I, I had signed with Florida heading into that season um, as a free agent. So, you know, confidence, oh. confidence was quite high. Um, I, I felt like I was working towards something rather than, you know, like wondering what was going to happen with my career um, as an overager, especially. So I was able to sign that contract, kind of get the weight off my shoulders. I'm worrying about, you know, who likes me, who doesn't. I, I knew my path and the whole goal for me was like, I know where I'm going to be next year. I need to really perform this year, kind of come out of my shell a little bit, be a little bit more offensive. Obviously I scored goals previously, but statistically that was, that was my best year. And then I, I really kind of excelled in playoffs too. Well, yeah. Okay. So let me add to that Duke. So yes, 16 goals in 20 games, but what's more impressive is the 22 points in the 20 games. You're over a point per game in the playoffs, my friend. And that's pretty impressive knowing how intense and, how big of a battle playoffs is, man. It's just whoever is just lucky enough to stay healthy to finish almost at some points. The wars are so big, right? Well, so and that, even, I mean, if you look at the line mates, I think they helped quite a bit. Um, I think Bods was probably the fastest player in the league and really not on Nas with his elite skill and, you know, vision for the game. It was pretty easy for me to go to the net and get rewarded. hundred percent. So now dude, I did that. Okay. So you reminded me, that's right. You had signed with Florida going into that OA season. The reason why I kind of forgot about that is because didn't you sign with someone else before that? No, I was, I was kind of, you know, for me, like in a place where they, they brought in five, six overage players into my OA year. And, you know, I wasn't guaranteed a spot per se. So I was, wow. you know, uncertain. And I think it might even been the same camp that, Hendo attended at Kitchener. They hosted a rookie tournament. It was Toronto, yeah. Pittsburgh, Florida, and 
Ottawa, I want to say it was four teams. Um, yeah, and I didn't, I didn't have a, I didn't have a camp to go to. And it was, you know, kind of discouraging for me. Cause I, I was in Edmonton, probably what you're thinking the two years previous went to their camps, did really well. There was playing exhibition games. Edmonton, yeah. And then I came into that year and nothing. So okay. I was like, well, this is not kind of the way that I wanted to start my overage year competing for a spot firstly in this league and not be given an opportunity to showcase myself either at an NHL rookie camp or camp at all. So um, I was going about my business, you know, still grinding away, trying to make the team and a player for the Florida Panthers had a groin injury. So Daryl Sutter comes down and calls on Pete. He's like, Pete, like, you know, we, we need a guy that kind of can kind of fill a spot for the week or weekend. So Pete's like, well, you know, Duke's here has been to two NHL camps already. He's got the experience, you know, he's scored goals. He's done well in this league. Like, you know, give him a shot. So they call me into their office and they're like, ah, you know, we vouched for you, you know, don't embarrass us. So I, I go out there and, you know, I think we played four games. I probably had four or five fights. I fought Bugard, little brother, Alex Foster. There was like three or four other guys that I got in the mix with and, you know, put up some points. And at the end of that weekend, I, I got invited to, to camp and I was like, oh, well, that's, that's amazing. Like, you know, I made an opportunity of nothing. So I ended up showing to that camp and, you know, showed well again and probably I think played like six or seven NHL exhibition games. And they're like, hey, we'd like to see you in Rochester. So I went down to Rochester. I'm like, okay, well, I still don't have a contract, but trending in the right direction. I, they haven't sent me back yet. Yeah. So, um, you know, I continued to have the conversations and then ended up signing my first ever NHL contract. Wow, man. That's incredible story. Like that's, that's a journey that I don't think I've ever heard that order before. You know what I'm saying? No, like, it's, it's it definitely cool, the, uh, it, it wasn't the easy path. That's for sure. It made things a little bit more difficult than to what you had said before. I just, I had to play bigger, right? I, I was going against, up against some big boys. And if I wanted to play physical, I, I had to showcase that I could fight too. So, yeah. I mean, I, I historically showed that I could score goals and that never necessarily the concern. It was more so like, if you want to play with an edge, can you answer the bell? So I, I started showing that I could do that a little bit more. Yeah, dude. And like I was saying earlier, man, like I had no idea that you were so into that part of the game because again, not playing against you and you being five years younger, I just thought you were like a speedy, a speedy guy that, that hits and scores and which you are, but bro, I didn't know that you threw down the way that you did. So I want to talk about the first year pro in Rochester, great season, end up getting called up. Right. So now for the Rochester Americans though, I think it's so cool to see now things changed a little bit, but Rochester's got the nice rink. They're a hockey city. There's a lot of culture and history there, right? A lot of tradition. you got the Blue Cross Arena, right? What was it like? Like, like that, that's a pretty cool place to start pro. Like, it's not like you're playing in San Antonio or a place with no history. Like, were you pretty proud to play for the Emmerichs? Yeah, I mean, I, I knew there was a great history there. Um, the unfortunate thing for us is that we had then switched affiliates. So it was Florida. It wasn't Buffalo anymore. That's right. So I think there was a lot of people in the area that weren't necessarily too impressed with that um, yeah. change within the organization. So we didn't necessarily get the fan support that it, I think it would have been had it been Buffalo mm -hmm. still. 
which, yeah. you know, it, it's still, it is what it is. It was pro hockey and, you know, we, we went out and I don't think our team necessarily did that well. We were, we were quite young, but for me personally, um, statistically did okay. Um, you know, once again, still had to mix it up, go out there and yeah. show that, you know, I, I wasn't just a junior guy that could throw them down. I had to do it with some older guys now and some bigger guys. And yeah. um, that, that year I ended up getting the uh, booster club rookie of the year. So uh, over overall, it was it was a pretty good first first year for pro for me. Just I got to play. Um, you know, the it wasn't too far from home, so my family got to come quite often to watch me play. And while I played in Rochester, my brother actually made a married a Rochester girl, so he come met on. her at he met her at Buff State. So when we'd go on the road, I'd hand him my keys, and he'd stay stay over at our place, and he'd have his girl with him. So it was uh, wow. it worked out quite well for everyone. Yeah, it sure did, my friend. So let's talk about you were fifth on the team in scoring your rookie season, but first in penalty minutes. You're being a little humble, my friend, about I had to mix it up a little bit. But you were led the team in PIMS, bro. You got to well, give yourself more credit, man. Well, I, I guess situational-wise, as a smaller undrafted player, you have to outshine the first, second, third drafted players. So right? true. And, and that's kind of is what it is. And I, you know, even when I went into that rookie camp specifically, um, Pete DeBoer and Steve Spott had called me aside and they're like, you have to be noticeable all the time. If you're not scoring and you're not hitting, you're going to fight. And that's just kind of the way it was. And that's kind of the way that they installed that in, in my brain. And it was, you know, if I wasn't scoring this game, I, I have to do something else to stand out. Otherwise I won't get called up and no one will, no one's overly invested in me. They were obviously they signed me, but you know, the first, second, third round picks that, you know, they, there's scouts and jobs on the line that if they're not playing and they're not, you know, playing before me, then there's an issue. So. And it looks bad on, on them too, right? Because, because they, you know, it's not a player that they drafted, got called up. It's the hardworking free agent signing that, that got called up. So now you mentioned that if you didn't do those things, that you didn't, weren't going to have a chance to get called up, but you sure as heck got called up, Dukes. Oh, that's that's because I, that I, I was doing those things. That's yeah, I want to talk about that call-up, though. Tell, tell, tell me and the listeners about how you got found out that you were called up to the National Hockey League. Well, I would have been, I, I believe I was at our practice facility. Um, at ESL? ESL, and we were just finishing up pregame skate because we had a game that night. And I got called into the office, and they're like, you're, you're getting called up. And, you know, and I'm like, oh, oh, my God, like, I... I can't believe this. Obviously I call my dad right away and call all my family, but they're like, you know, your flight's at 1230. I'm like, it's, it's 10 o'clock. I'm like, that's, that's a pretty, pretty quick turnaround. So I had to sprint back downtown, get my stuff, yeah. get to the airport, get the on airport. a flight, get to Florida. Now, you know, I'm arriving in Florida at four o'clock or whatever it is, three 30. And I'm going right to the rink and I, I still haven't even eaten. Wait, hold on, you played that night? Yeah, I played that night. So I, I, I showed up and I'm like, you know, I, I haven't eaten. You know, I came right from, usually I would have gone to Olive Garden in like Henrietta, yeah. the pregame there. And yeah. I, I just had to rush to the airport and get on the flight. And I had obviously some snacks and everything just seemed quite hectic. So I ended up getting to the rink and 
know, had like a cliff bar and a bagel and whatever they had there. And into the NHL, I went. So who are you guys playing? I, I want to say that it was Atlanta. Um, and sometimes when I got called up, I, as you probably know, and you, you get called up and you don't play a lot of minutes. So yeah. I, I, I think, I think Ace Stu was on that team at the time as was well. He? So that was when so, he was in Atlanta. Yeah. So get, get called up and you know, from, from the first period till the end of the game, I, I don't think I touched the ice, um, but you know, I, I had the, the best, best seat in the house. So yeah, hundred percent. But Hey, listen, man. I'm not letting you off that easy. Again, stat guy, right? I'm seeing 50 PIMs in 10 games for the Florida Panthers. So one would say that does average five minutes a game. He averaged, he got five minutes a game. Now maybe, maybe there was a game he got a 10, you know, but Duke, so it looks like you threw down in the show. Did you throw down in the show that year? I, f- I fought in the NHL, Daniel Carcillo, wow. Ian Lapierre, um, Mike Brown. And then I think what really boosted up my, my stats where we were in um, Washington. I think this, I don't know if this was my first year, but the, the next time I got called up, I think it was the year after. And it was um, Alexander Giroux. I want to say he was like a Hershey legend. Um, he yeah. got called up to Washington and he, absolutely buried Kulikov, our rookie D-man. So I'm sitting on the bench, you know, probably been sitting there for a while. I knew I was up next and I just beelined off the bench and, and attacked him. So I got kicked yeah. out of the game and I think I got 32 penalty minutes for that. Funny enough, my dad and brother flew to that game. My brother was the only person in the entire building wearing a 68 Florida Duco jersey getting popcorn thrown at him and I get turfed out of the game in the second period. Was he was he was he all loud and stuff? Was there was there a, a possibility <laughs> I, of I probably haven't seen these videos of all these fights in the stands at like NHL, NBA football games. It's, it kind of gets wild sometimes when you're the lone opposing jersey in the big crowd. I I, I he was never much of a fighter, so I, I think he just probably took it at that point. <laughs> No, and that, that's pretty cool, though. Like, yeah, bro, I mean, that's very impressive. Those names you said there, like, I thought for – you're talking about first-round Brown? Was he in Anaheim? He was in Toronto. He was in Toronto. Okay. Oh, okay. So you're talking about the Brown that was playing for the Leafs. So yeah, you're Mike so Brown. young. I'm thinking about other Browns that are, you know, five to ten years older, right? So, no, but some of those names that you said, they're very, very, very legit, bro. Like, you're very, very legit, and it's very, very impressive, man. So now and then just those, those were the about... people that just said yes. Ah, okay. Okay. I get right? you. So there, there, there was times where, you know, we were in the, the one story I love and I tell some of the boys that I coach, you know, we're in Madison square gardens and I'm playing with one of your foes, Steve McIntyre, and we're on the fourth line and we hadn't touched the ice in a period and a half. And all of a sudden I'm on the first line with Steven Weiss and I look to my left and there's Sean Avery. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, I, I get what's going on here. So I give him the old tug at the laces and he's, you know, basically telling me like that I was an embarrassment that I'm not Yager to take off number 68, which I did not choose 68. That was the call up number. 
Um, and Dubinsky was giving it to me about that number two. And I followed him around the ice for 30 seconds. He said no. And back to the bench, I went. I hear you, bro. We got to try, though. We got to try. So that's cool. Um, so the, the, so your second, see, see you, you, you became a 20-goal scorer in the AHL, right? Which earned you another call-up that second year, like we were just talking about. Um, you, uh, you also were, like, 20 goals is, like, a, a big thing for you. Like, you scored 20 goals, but you scored 32 the one year, 24 one year, but you scored 20 goals four years in a row in the OHL as well. Well, dude, you're a, you're a natural. Would you consider yourself like a natural goal scorer? Like when you get the opportunity? Yeah, I think I was opportunistic, right? Like I I always had a good shot. Um, you know, none none of mine were overly pretty per se, yeah. but you know, a lot of kind of in that blue paint, tipping pucks, um, kind of playing in those dirty areas, and a lot of them kind of on on ozone entries and just getting a quick snapper off. And I always know felt I had a really good snapshot so that was something that I would always utilize entering the zone and that's how I scored majority of my goals you're done bro and more power to you I wanted to talk to you also Dukes about the trade to Vancouver now Sergey Shurikov man does he ever sound like a big time goal scorer did anything did he ever pan out like I know he was a big prospect the, the guy that I was traded for yeah did he, do, he end up heading out or no? Honestly, I, to the best of my knowledge, um, he never reported. And he ended oh, up really? in the KHL. So he, he probably stayed in the, in the KHL or he, something? He stayed in the KHL. So um, got traded me for nothing virtually. But <laughs> um, well, Mike, Mike Gillis was my agent when I was 15. 14, Mike Gillis 15. was your agent? Yeah, 14, yeah, 15. You know Mike. who my first agent was? Mike Gillis. Well, he, he used to bring us out to Kingston and yeah. we would stay at Queens and we would train. Um, so obviously wow. we had that little bit of a relationship. So he, he brought me in there and just kind of voiced his opinion that this is an opportunity for me in a, in a new spot. Um, and, you know, Canadian market, obviously a lot, a lot different than playing for the Florida Panthers. No, yeah. no diss to the Florida Panthers, but you know, we, we'd have open practice in Vancouver and there'd be more people than a regular game in Florida. Yeah. So it's, it's, it was quite cool. Just kind of once again, like being in the limelight there and having a lot more eyes on you. I, I thought that was really cool. Um, obviously I only got six games out of that year. Um, did decently well point wise, you know, two assists in those six games. And yeah. um, I, I fought Ryan Getzlaff that year and Lance yeah. Boma that year. So once again, mi mixed it up to, to showcase that I could do a little bit of everything, but spent spent majority of that time in Chicago. Yeah, so that's exactly what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to talk about the Chicago Wolves. Um, I had an experience with the Chicago Wolves, but the funny thing is, Duco, is I never played one game. I signed three PTOs and left right after Christmas because I just wasn't getting in, but they had so much money and I was such a big character in the room that they're just like, it was, it was shovel day off. The guy that's the Winnipeg Jets guy. Is he still the GM when you were there? Wendell Young. Wendell Young. Okay. So shovel day off Wendell Young, the goalie, the goalie. Yeah. Yeah. So he was the goalie coach when I was there. Yeah. So he ended up being the GM. He's still the GM now. Wow. That's, okay. That's cool. Thanks for telling me that. I know. I, I love to know shit. Like, he is the, the most jacked general manager of all time in hockey history. 
I could definitely agree with you on that one, bro. But I remember that too now. That's crazy. What I wanted to outline is that I always refer to the Chicago Wolves as the New York Yankees of the AHL. And the reason why I say this is because what, at least when I was there, it seemed like they had an unlimited budget. It seemed like we were flying everywhere except for Peoria and Rockford. It's well, Rockford wasn't even in the league yet. So just Peoria, everywhere else we were flying. I couldn't believe it. The, the practice facility was, was off the charts. The, um, their willingness to sign like big free agent, like veterans, like bro, they, they had t- like eight veterans on the team. You could only dress five that played over 250 games. They had eight. So that you had three guys that were making a hundred grand each sitting in the stands with McMorrow, the guy that was with Buffalo now with them, they had their people like Boris Valabek. He was supposed to be like, you know, he was like a six foot six defenseman. I played with Bo in uh, Did you? Yeah. So he was always supposed to be like this Chara type of guy that will fight and he was supposed to be good. And so they were kind of, they were kind of hoping on him. Um, Guillaume Debiens. Yep. I don't Uh, know if you played against him. He was in Manitoba. Okay. So he was there and he was like a 20 year old. So like he was willing to fight, put his head down and go. They had Valibic on the fence. So they, there was just no room for me at all being a free agent, as you know. But they were paying me. They were paying for my apartment. They were giving me per diem because it was like over that time. So I wasn't paying rent. I was making more money than I'd ever made in Rochester. And they were giving me per diem. Life was great. But the competitor in me wanted to play, man. I wanted to play. So that's when I first went to the prep league. But my experience in Chicago... I felt like I played in the NHL, brother. Like, how would, how did you feel playing there? Like, was it? Would you ex- describe it the same way, or did it change? Did, no, I did I the gangster very... behind the net was he still there? Who the uh, the gentleman with the top hat on? Yeah, Mike the Hat. I believe he Mike passed the away hat. recently. Mike, I forgot what he, he died. I believe he passed away. Yeah. Oh, so God bless his soul. Yeah, but he was he was a legend there, Mike, right? And Mike the we, hat. We were. Always, I'd always wonder what his affiliation with the team was, but he was, he was always outside the room and fist bumping all the guys. And, you know, it, it was first class all the way. You, you, you couldn't pick a better spot. Also living in Chicago, um, How and playing awesome at the all state arena with, with the fireworks show and they, they go above and beyond for their players. Yeah, dude. It's so cool there, man. All state arena. What is it? seat? Like 16,000. No, not, not, it's not as 12, big as you, probably 12, 12 yeah. Like okay, 11, sorry, 12. 12. But what, what I'm going at with this is there was one year before the Kane and Taze era, when before Chicago started getting good, they were really bad. Like before that three cups in the six years, they were really bad, bro. And when I played for the Wolves, our attendance, the Chicago Blackhawks were the last team in the league for attendance. The Chicago Wolves were first in the American Hockey League. And we were averaging about five or 600 more than the Hawks. Like it was well, that, is, that, is that when like Krog and Hadar and all those guys? Were yeah, there? I played with Hadar. Uh, Freddie Brathwaite was our goalie. Um, uh, Krog was so good, bro. I was his roommate on the road a lot. You know what I mean? He liked playing with me because I was, not, he liked rooming with me because I'd never played. 
So he knew there didn't have to be like a sleep schedule. Like he, he could sleep at every, you know what I mean? So I got him as a roommate. The guy would wake up to like natural sunlight. He always wanted the blinds open. He was like half Japanese or something. And he was like all into like meditation and he's a very interesting guy, man. I should try to get him on the show now that you mentioned him. Well, like, yeah, so player, both of yeah, hundred point unreal. season. Hadar, who ended up being like the all-time leader in points in the AHL or something. He was so good, man. He just Hadar won the senior so A league for the Dundas Real McCoys. He's playing for Dundas yeah. right now. Wow, he must like really put on a show there, man. I've never seen someone stick handle like him, shoot like him. He's a little guy too. How small was that guy? He was well. His nickname was Mini, right? So he was he was a smaller dude, but he was Five, the, the vision for the game was beyond elite. Yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. Beyond elite, one hundred percent. But so yeah, man. I mean, I mean, you got a chance to play in Chicago. Um, did you go out downtown Chicago? Did you go to Wrigleyville? I never went to Wrigley. I went to the White Sox stadium. Um, we were living in Arlington Heights, which was quite yeah. far outside. Yeah, of the city. I know. And I, yeah. I think that it was more so told to us, like, we don't need you downtown. Like, A, you're going to be late for everything due to traffic. Um, and B, like, we don't need you guys out till 4 a.m. Yeah. So um, I, I, did, I actually didn't have a single drop of alcohol that year. I was the DD driving wow. the boys back and forth from downtown. So, okay. um, you know, I, I still had a lot of fun there and I, I had a lot of experiences with the boys downtown, but uh, a different perspective as the, uh, the sober driver back and forth. In a way you might've had a better time though, Dukes. Like I, I remember it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now was the wife with you in Chicago then? She was not. No. Did, were you guys, did you guys, you guys knew each other at that point or you hadn't even met her yet? Hadn't met her. No. Wow. Okay. Right on, bro. No, I just, I do. I just, I, I like to know, like when guys get married and stuff, it's cool to hear like what cities the wives were with them with and, you know, all that type of stuff. Right. She, Cause she I know came, you she some... came with me to the ECHL cities in UK. So she, um, she didn't That's get the experience. glamorous American league and NHL experience. Cool. So the next couple of years, the reason why I was asking, cause the next couple of years, I mean, you play in some pretty cool spots I mean, you, you, you make the decision to go across overseas to play in Austria, right? And then you also have the experience of playing in the UK with Sheffield. Now, at this point, Dukes, like you're, you're such an interesting guy. You had such a great career. And there's still like a couple more things I want to talk about. Right now, I'm kind of picking and choosing the topics. But I want to jump to Sheffield, like because like, there's, like, let's say there's 10. I'm picking the three or four that I really want, right? So yeah. now, let's say, let, let's get into Sheffield. I know you weren't there long, right? But like Sheffield, the UK, first of all, did you think the hockey was going to be as good as it was? Um, I, I did because I knew players there. Okay. So okay. I, I wasn't kind of oblivious to what was going on. I had a good understanding of who's been there, who's done what. I used to watch your videos, you know, chanting to the crowd and doing sure. the whole sheriff routine. So I, I had a good understanding of what was going on in the league. Um. And then I got there and honestly, like, cool, cool place to be. I, I got the heritage pass and did all the castle tours. And me and my girlfriend, now wife at the time, um, was doing a lot of traveling, heading into London because we weren't too far, all that stuff. But I, I never really caught my stride there, I didn't think. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was, you know, me as a person or just me as a player at that point. Maybe I didn't 
have the same, you know, jump that I had, you know, a couple of years previous, just based off of where I was, maybe I was feeling a little down on myself, something like that, but I, I didn't think I really did that well there. And I wasn't getting the opportunities that I thought that I deserved with my previous experience. And there was a lot of guys that were going out the door in front of me and it didn't necessarily make me too happy. Um, so I yeah, always fire guys quite easily in that league. Eh? That they, and that's, that's how they say it, that you got fired. Like that's yeah, so, the words that they use. And so I, I went in and I kind of just voiced that concern for me um, and said, you know, I'm not on a power play. I don't kill penalties. Like I, I don't know what, why you even have me here. And it was more so like, okay, well, we'll give you your two weeks notice then. I was like, okay, fair enough. So it was kind of like, like a okay. mutual thing. Yeah. I'm like, okay, that's completely fine with me. So I started getting on the horn and calling people back home. And I had a few connections back in the ECHL. I obviously wasn't going to go back to the American league based off of where I was. I understood that. Um, and where I had been before in Indianapolis. So I went back to Evansville, Indiana and became the captain there halfway through the year. And nice. statistically in the ECHL I've had my best season point wise in pro. Right on. And so now at what point, when did the Jackals opportunity come up? So it was the coach that had come in, the assistant coach, his name was Dave Leger. Um, Al Sims was the head coach. Dave was the assistant. He had come in kind of the same time as me. And I continued to voice to him that I wanted to get into coaching. That was kind of like where I saw myself in my career because I was kind of noticing a more of a downward trend in the leagues that I was being in. So I yeah. kind of wanted to find a, a different path for me to, to kind of catapult myself into. And he got the head coaching job in Elmira. So he reached out to me and he's like, Hey, we don't have a big budget, but we can be the player coach. And I was like, Oh, okay. So I, was, I was like, well, I don't want to play anymore. Like I don't, especially, you know, for what you're asking me to play for. I don't, I don't think that's worth it for me. He's like, okay, well, you don't have to play just come and coach. So I just ran practices, did development stuff, was helping with the strength and conditioning things, video stuff and running the defenseman. So whatever our team wasn't doing too well statistically and the, the, the team itself was kind of crumbling um, at the core. So they ended up firing him and had come to me after and said, you know, we'd like to ask you if you want to take over this position. So I was like, well, yeah, obviously yeah. like I'm not, I'm not going to say no, I'm here and I'm invested yeah. now. So yeah, I'll, I'll do it for sure. So ended up being the head coach. And then, a couple of weeks later, the guy that was the GM and head of hockey operations who gave me this role and opportunity comes in with a binder and he goes, here. I'm like, well, what's, what's this? He goes, it's the CBA, all the trades, you know, border visa stuff. I'm like, well, why do I need this? You do that. He goes, well, I just took a job with the Reading Royals. And I was like, so, so now I'm here alone. So I ended up doing kind of both those roles still running the strength stuff at the gym across the street, still doing development, still doing the video. Um, and that's kind of how I kind of jumped into this whole coaching and development stuff. Yeah, dude. So that's super cool. So, so you're the, you're the last coach in Elmira Jackals history, correct? I am the last coach of the Elmira Jackals. 
That's right, bro. And you'll always be that. Well, well do you think they'll come back or, or what's the deal with them? I'm not too sure. There was a gentleman there that um, had owned some car dealerships and he wanted to purchase the team. But to the best of my knowledge, there was maybe money owed or the, the rink needed oh, revamping. Yeah. And there was some things that he didn't necessarily want to take over. So yeah. they just called it, it, squashed it. And then they had the Elmira enforcers um, in the federal league, I want to say, like two years later. Yeah, but but that's nowhere like the level that the Elmira Jackals were. Um, no, I mean, what it's, it's sad because there was there was a good fan base there. Like people loved yeah. hockey. There was people just off the border in Pennsylvania that would come and watch. There was people yep. from that area that would come and watch. There was people from all surrounding areas that would come to watch the Jackals. And like we fan support wise, did really well. So it, it was a little bit disheartening because I thought maybe if we were able to start another season, I could continue with the path that I was on and continue doing that. But the uh, things, things happened for a reason. And I ended up in yeah. Peterborough in the OHL. Yeah, dude. So, and yeah, Elmira, like from what I know of it, great hockey town, great history. Um, when I was in Rochester, they were a feeder team to us. Like yeah, guys we, we, we were affiliated up. to Rochester and Buffalo. It was still that way. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, man. So they, they were a big part of the program, bro. So like, I hope they do come back because I think that city deserves to see pro hockey. Um, so that'd be great. So dude, uh, I, okay. I want to talk about what you're wearing right now. Okanagan. Tell me about this. Tell me how you first got involved. What's the mission statement for you guys? Um, I, I guess everything they say is excellence in everything we do. So obviously it's a, um, an academy base. So it's, you know, it's the student athlete is kind of the whole model. You know, you, you obviously want to academically have these kids set up for success to, to move on to Canadian American universities. And a lot of what they say, their success stories aren't necessarily the hockey part. It's the, the kid that became a doctor, they became a pilot that are doing good things in the world outside of hockey and become yeah. good people based off the program. But flip back to, I was in Peterborough, um, trying to find out what did I want to do next. Um, I ended up meeting the president of the company, Andy Oaks, and they were starting this division in Whitby. You know, I, I somewhat live close to there as a Toronto guy, and I wanted to be in more of a head coaching role. So they approached me for that head coaching role. So I got the head coaching job of a U18 program wow. for the first two seasons and kind of got that off the ground with a guy by the name of Paul Pascuzzi. Okay. Um, so him and I, he was the GM, he was building out the team, building the, getting the players in, um, obviously using me as a selling feature to get kids yeah. in with the OHL pro background, NHL experience, all of that stuff. Um, so two years into it, um, they approached me and they're like, you know, there are a lot of the kids on your team are getting pretty good, you know, like as individuals and the team was excelling as well. Like, you know, we, we would like to see this development on a company wide basis. So they said, would you, would you want to help build out kind of our skills and development curriculum for the academies? So I thought that was a really cool opportunity for me. And for me now, I get to kind of go to Penticton and I get to go to Edmonton and I'm stationed here in Toronto and Whitby to work specifically with our teams. But during the season, I fly out to those academies and kind of do my thing on the ice with their players as well. That's okay. So that's very impressive. So now tell me, how like I saw all this stuff with the OHL combine though, dude. So what what was that affiliation like? What were you doing there? 
So our company um, does, so they're heavily influenced in the Western Hockey League. So all the Western Hockey League combines, they provide kind of the on ice testing portion of it. So like I was in Winnipeg a month and a half or so or so back, um, helping out with the on ice portion, as well as building out a skills practice for those players. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of what the model for me is. And that's, like, and I was at the OHL or the CHL top prospects game in Kitchener, Ontario. I didn't do any skill stuff with those players, but it was more so just kind of being on the ice and having that um, company presence there. And oh, yeah. for me, it's, it's just cool to be kind of face to face with some of the best players, you know, in, in North America. Yeah. hundred percent. So that's pretty cool. Dude. You have a really, really good spot right now. eh? like, you must be very proud of what you've been able to, that you've been able to get to this position. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think obviously for me, it's just come with a lot of hard work and passion. And I know kind of the, the way I was a player and the passion that I had for the game and the way that I trained and kind of conducted myself in that way is something now that I try and teach these kids nowadays, you know, it's, it's not of all, it is about the flash and the skill and I get all that stuff, but there's, there's a lot more to the game than just that and trying to kind of develop the overall player in person. Um, and for me, I, I love getting to know the kids and you know, becoming kind of a mentor and someone that they can reach out to on Instagram and send me a DM or send me a text and say, Hey, like I'm having this issue issue or, you know, this is happening in the game and I need some, so just kind of, being in that mentorship for mentorship role for me is kind of something that I really take pride in. Well, dude, I, I'm, I'm hats off to you, man. I, I want to congratulate you. And I want to tell you, man, you, you have no idea how big of an impact this has. Like sometimes when you're living at Dukes, like you don't realize it, but dude, like you're, you're doing a lot, man. Just keep going strong and, and don't stop, man, because there's the sky's the limit. I mean, you're really, really in a good spot now, but I couldn't only imagine what the next step would be for you, bro. And, and it's exciting stuff, my friend. It is. It is super exciting. And funny, funny thing about your podcast, because I've been following along and somebody I that, I, that. I, I had crossed paths with um, in, in, a, in a Syracuse crunch jersey, also uh, a legend for Syracuse was your your boy, John Morasti. I, I sent him you a message. You thought uh, No, no, I never would. I, I oh. think he wanted to kill me at some points, but I, I never wanted to kind of jump to that level. But I sent him a message the other day and just said, Hey man, hope you're doing well, but I never would have even seen him or, or known what he was up to if it wasn't for kind of the platform that you're providing. So I just said, hope you're doing well. And, you know, we, we never talked outside of the arena and it was more so uh, death threats on the ice from his end yes. to me. Um, but, you know, just, just kind of those little connections and things that you're kind of opening the door for people here. So it's kind of cool. Yeah, dude. Well, I, I really appreciate that, man. And, and John's actually going to be um, one of the judges for that ice wars event in edmonton and i'm gonna have all three judges as an episode we're doing the recording next week so it's a pretty tough lineup man so it's john nasty morasty it's frank the animal by lois and then it's brad wingfield the wing nut so we're gonna have the three screens going it's gonna be really exciting man but i'm that's cool that, that you and john were able to correspond like that and um, that's the way I look at it too, Dukes. Like, I mean, think about it for me, bro. Like I get to, like for guys like you, I get to reconnect, 
You know what I mean? And then for guys, some like I have guys on my show that I've been looking up to my whole life, man. So like, it's very cool for me. I get to do something that I have a passion for. You know, I want to have a career in this path. It's my running resume and I get to be with all the boys, bro. So there's, there's nothing negative to it. Love hearing stories like you just said. Love the fact that you're able to come on the show. I know we've been way over the timeline, so I'm sorry. You got to tell Mrs. Duco that it's my fault. Okay. So I, but man, I, I was, I, the insight that you provided though, Dukes, and the stories that you had, the fact that you got the play where I played, man, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it, man. The listeners love these stories, bro. And like, you're talking as at a, at a player's standpoint at first, but you're also talking as a coach and a referee. You're like a triple threat, bro. You're a development guy too, but you're a quadruple threat, man. So like, I appreciate yeah. that. There's a lot of hockey people listening to the show, man. And like, you got, you got everything going for you and I wish you nothing but the best in the future. I really hope we see each other soon, brother. Cause we're actually pretty close. I'm mostly in Pickering these days, but I stay at my mom's house a, a day or two a week sometimes too. Um, so yeah, bro, I definitely, I definitely like to get together and um, I miss you guys, man. There's so many, but it's, we're all so busy and stuff. So sometimes things like this, you know, it brings people together and, and I really appreciate you coming on. I know I keep saying that, but it's so true. Um, so anything that you'd like to say before we sign off, my friend? I mean, I, I, I've been following along, as I said. I, I love all your little catchphrases. I, I love the fact that you've kind of developed this platform for yourself. You, you clearly have a knack for it. You're quite the personality. You always were. Um, I enjoy listening to you. I enjoy the fact that you, you know, even approached me to have me on here. Um, and, you know, we, as you said, we've been to a lot of the same places. We've done a lot of the same things. And um, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to see what, what you have here in the future. Awesome, buddy. Kudos to that. I really appreciate it. But um, the one thing I was going to say is uh, it, it'd be really interesting to see this summer how many how many times like all the boys do do do, do like join up because man I'm telling you there's a lot of us from the East End I, I don't know when the last time everyone was together obviously with COVID it hasn't been possible because we live in such a like bizarre world Dukes like the last I mean like it's been a little while since things have been back to normal but I used to say I don't know if the last two years has been the longest two years of my life or it's been the shortest two years. That's how weird it was with this pandemic. But we're through it now. We're only going to move forward. A lot of people are starting to get like a little sick lately, but I, I think we're past this, man. And, and I'm just I'm just looking forward to seeing everybody again because I'm telling you, like pandemic time was really weird for me. I don't know how it was for you. It was, I was stuck in a condo, a one bedroom condo with a newborn. So it was quite difficult. Um, and talking about the boys, like, Obviously, Hendo now lives quite far away, and CC yeah. was in Minnesota. I, I saw Ace do last week at the OHL Combine. Um, I, you know, I, how well I, is he doing on TV? Eh, he's, it's amazing to see the success that he's had. Really I, I, I was at a Leaf game a couple of weeks back where you know I saw Dub Sims, and he gave me I got a signed stick from Dub Sims in my son's no room. Um, so you know, still keeping in contact. Obviously, social media helps. Um, but yeah, the pandemic's been hard on everyone and, and we haven't really been able to be face to face per se, but it'd be really good to, to have a, you know, a black dog night or, yeah. or Ted's breakfast or something along yeah. those lines. But also Dukes, what's also coming up is the XO boys are coming to town. The weekend's coming to town. They're doing a world tour for the after hours and the new album. It's like both albums. 
and they're starting it at the T dot. It's the beginning of July, and I have a feeling that Freddie Jones might be inviting a lot of the boys. So I think it's July the eighth, man. That's my birthday. So I actually no way. July eighth's my birthday, but I spent July eighth is your birthday, bro. I spent all all summer in Penticton, BC, running camps. So I'm I'm there July first to thirty first. I have two of my own specific weeks at the end. And the first two weeks, I bring the whole family, and it's kind of a, a vacation per wow. se for everyone. Dude, but that's really cool. Yeah, it's it's and Penticton, you know, it's a beautiful place, and there's wineries everywhere. And wow. you know, now, now my my wife isn't pregnant this time around, so we'll we'll yeah. actually be able to uh, have some fun. Right on, bro. I'm so proud of you, Dukes. Um, I want to thank you again for coming on. I, I'm just I'm 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 so glad to be talking to an old buddy. That's why I've kind of been dragging this on. So. I, I, so, the, the, but this is great. Um, I, I want to thank the listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Sheriff featuring special guest Michael Duco, a.k.a. The Dukes. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for listening, guys. Woo!